Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery interview. I'm your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. You're listening to this on Wednesday, January 9, 2019. It is the first Press Gallery interview of the new year. And I have with me today a very familiar voice to regular Press Gallery listeners. Senator Paula Simons. Good day, Emma. Oh, I've missed that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and what, what have I learned after all these years? Laugh away from the microphone, Paula. <laughs> Don't laugh full into the microphone. So as regular listeners would know, Paula Simons was a columnist here for many moons. Many. So many moons. Many moons. Here at the Edmonton Journal. How many moons? Uh, well, I worked for the Edmonton Journal for 23 years, and I became a full-time columnist in 2001. So, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's many, many moons, many tides. And now Paula has been snatched from our grasp. Traded to the senators. Traded to the senators, exactly. So you're hanging out in Ottawa now. In you the know, fancy schmancy center block. In the, if, I was in the fancy schmancy center block. Uh, and I was really lucky because I got to Ottawa in time to be sworn in in the historic Red Chamber and to sit for a couple of months in the historic Red Chamber. But as we were leaving in December, people were already putting things in boxes and the center block is now closed for what could be a decade mm. or a dozen years or maybe 15 years if you're feeling cynical of massive renovations. And so when I go back to Ottawa, I will be senating in the old Ottawa railway station. Uh, this they're putting in the railway station. They're putting us in the railway it's very station. Hogwarts like it, it is very Hogwarts like. It's it's a bit like that movie Hugo. It's a fabulous 1912 Art Deco railway station, and it's it's going to be magnificent. Except, um, uh, you know, if you've ever done home renos, you know how this goes. We were supposed to <laughs> we were supposed to move into the railway station the last week in January, and then they went and tested the acoustics because for the first time we will be on television. We will be on CPAC for all those Ooh. insomniacs who would like to watch the Senate live. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they tested the acoustics in the beautiful new chamber they had made for us. And they didn't work because they had this fabulous skylight. And I guess the combination of the skylight and the TV uh, sound system, it was all some kind of uh, acoustic ca catastrophe. Oh, and so uh, we're not entirely certain when we're going back, maybe mid-February, to, mm -hmm. uh, to sit in our fancy new building. <laughs> I guess and we'll do see. the do the work of the nation. So what's it like being a senator? It is a little surreal. It still doesn't seem real to me. And in fact, as I walked into the journal building today for the first time since my goodbye <laughs> party, I thought, oh, this is this is the dream. This is the Bobby Ewing moment where you, you know, you wake up and there you are in the shower. Uh, you're too young to know. I have no Bobby. idea what no, you're talking no, about. Right no, <laughs> famous famously in the uh in the uh evening soap Dallas, which I watched uh when I was very young. They killed off the you know the favorite character Bobby Ewing. Uh, he went off to make movies and it didn't work out so well for him. So he asked to come back. But they'd done a whole season of the show in which he was dead and everybody mourned for him. And so they had to retcon the entire season and pretend that it had all been his wife's dream. And so his wife Pam gets Is up and that she what that's from yeah she opens the shower door and there's Bobby in the shower. Uh, so that was my Bobby in the shower moment when I came in here today. I thought oh. Maybe, maybe I'm not a senator at all. Maybe it was all a dream. <laughs> Here I am back in the journal newsroom. So that was a very long answer. It's very odd. But your desk is cleaned my, off. My so desk is cleaned off. It's I never know. been cleaned That's off like right. that. So it's, 
Being a senator is much more fun than I thought it would okay. be. I mean, I, I, I took up this position with some trepidation because I, I loved being a journalist. I'd been a journalist 30 years. I'd been at the Journal 23 years. It was a big life change for me. Mm. But the people I'm working with in the Senate, I know everyone is so cynical about the Senate. And for good reason. It's been bedeviled by spending scandals and you know allegations of malfeasance over the years. But this new crop of senators... Uh, are really quite remarkable people. I feel so blessed and so lucky to be in their company. I usually feel like the village idiot in any room I walk into <laughs> because it's full of subject matter experts from across the country and from so many different disciplines. Uh, and I'm learning a tremendous amount from them. So it's a very exciting time to be in the Senate because we have switched the way the Senate works uh, up until two years ago. Senators were appointed by the prime minister of the day. And prime ministers of the day tended to pack the Senate with party loyalists, party bagmen, party stalwarts. Mm. Um, you can use a more cynical word for that if you like. Uh, party hacks, some people might have said. Uh, some of whom were very good senators. Let's let's you know, let's not be unkind. But but a lot of whom owed direct allegiance to whichever prime minister of the day had appointed them, and it was a very partisan place because they were appointed by conservatives or liberals, and it tended to be uh, you know not as partisan as the House of Commons, but still fairly partisan. So in the wake of a bunch of different Senate scandals uh, and in the wake of Supreme Court judgments that had told Stephen Harper that it was going to be very difficult to amend the way the Senate works without amending the Constitution, uh, Justin Trudeau tried to come up with a sort of workaround uh, around the need for a constitutional amendment. And he said he's not going to have liberal senators anymore. He released the liberals who were in the Senate, some of whom were not very happy about that. And he said instead of appointing people directly, he was going to set up uh, sort of a blue ribbon committee, uh, an arm's length committee that would go out and solicit applications and sort of headhunt the country. And the idea was that they would pick senators who were less closely connected to political parties, who owed less personal loyalty to the prime minister, whoever that prime minister he or she might happen to be. And the idea was that you would get people not necessarily from across the political spectrum, because it's not very likely that a prime minister is going to appoint somebody whose political views are totally antithetical to his or her own. But the idea was that you'd get these panels and they would go and they would find people who were not your usual kinds of people who would be appointed to the Senate. Right. They're not like the hardcore politicos, right. big donors. Kinda. Yeah. So it's a bit of a problematic situation because now these so-called independent senators, and I'm mm. one of them, I sit as a member of the independent Senate group. We, you know, we're in there being independent, and there are still lots of conservatives and lots of liberals in there playing they, by the old rules. And, so, and they still kind of hold to those old allegiances, do they? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a group who call themselves the independent liberals. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but be, because, because Justin Trudeau cut them loose, and they said, no, no, we don't want to be cut loose. We, we're, we're liberals, and we want, to be, we want to stay liberals. Justin, keep us with you. Yes. I'm just picturing them. Like holding onto his leg as he's walking away, like they're toddlers. <laughs> it's not. It's not quite like that. But, <laughs> but you know, they felt they felt great loyalty and affinity to that liberal label, right. and they didn't want to give it up. And then there are conservatives who are still playing very much by the old rules. Do they call themselves independent conservatives? No, or are they just still no. They're just conservatives. Okay. Uh, and they, you know, and they really feel that this whole independent Senate thing is a bit of a joke. That we're just liberal lights. You know, that we were all appointed by a liberal prime minister, and we're tend to be progressives. And so as far as they're concerned, there are now two liberal caucuses, the one that calls itself liberal and, and the one that doesn't. So you've got these caucuses 
you know, the conservatives in particular, but the liberals as well, sort of playing by the old rules as if we're still a hockey game with two teams. And then in between, you have all these independent senators kind of doing pirouettes like they're figure skaters. <laughs> uh, and it, it doesn't it doesn't always work because sometimes the independent senators, frankly, get caught a little flat footed because they're not as familiar with the rules of mm. of the parliamentary system. And sometimes when the conservatives play hardball, which is absolutely within their rights to do. Mm. I mean, they're in opposition. It's their job to hold the government to account. They see us as government senators. And so I don't blame them for, you know, playing by the old rule book as hard as they're able. That's their job. But sometimes the independent senators are like, oh, but they're not being very nice. No, they're not being very nice. They're the opposition. <laughs> it's not their job to be nice. Uh, all that said, the Senate is a much more collegial place than the House of Commons mm. or the Alberta legislature. I mean, people... You clap for each other's speeches. Even, you know, you clap across benches. Uh, oh, that's there's, nice. Yeah, it, it, it isn't. It's it's more like a cocktail party and less like a bush party, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> there are fewer fist fights and more little, you know, rapier point, like, you know, like, like being poked mm. with those like cocktail toothpicks. Yeah. I mean, there's still... Passive aggressive rather they're, than out and out that's aggressive. That's right. They're cutting in sardonic remarks <laughs> as opposed to, you know, um, there's a little heckling, but the heckling is uh, more sophisticated. It's just, you know, I'm not saying that the people there are nicer. I'm just saying that the, it's Marcus of Queensbury rules over, <laughs> over in the Senate. So I want to talk to you a bit about Bill C-69. Obviously, this was on Alberta's radar, more, more so than a lot of federal bills. Yes. Uh, so what happened with this? Because there was a lot of there's, there's information. A, there's a lot of there. information. All right. So here's, some of which is right, some of which isn't, I so, would assume. So here's the thing about Bill C-69. Uh, this is the Liberal government's attempt to clear up some of the problems we're having with uh, the regulation and uh, assessment of major infrastructure projects, not just energy ones, also things like hard rock mining, but it's it's primarily the energy sector. Right. So Bill C-69 deals with pipelines, but also with nuclear reactors and uh, interprovincial electrical lines and offshore uh, wind power. So anything that's in the federal jurisdiction, so if it's purely provincial, it's not covered by C-69, but any kind of major infrastructure that that is in the federal ambit, whether it's cross-border, whether it involves uh, navigable waterways, uh, whether it's offshore. So the idea is, you know, we've looked at all the problems that the NEB has had uh, mm. approving things like uh, Trans Mountain and Northern Gateway. And the idea was, let's have a system that's more transparent, that gives more certainty to investors, but which also recognizes uh, indigenous rights and has more indigenous consultation and which provides robust protection for the environment. So that all sounds great, right? More transparency, clearer rules for the environment, and more buy-in from First Nations groups. That was yeah, that was the intent. The problem is that C-69, which is like the most ridiculously long shaggy bill, I would like to find, as, as a writer and editor, I would like to find whoever wrote this bill and and wrap them over the knuckles. Wrap them over the knuckles. Uh, because it's the shaggiest, baggiest piece of legislation. It's got more preambles, you know, oh. more throat clearing and more opportunity for misunderstanding. And, and and some of the major problems with it are that it gives the Minister of the Environment incredible discretion all through the process mm. to sort of circumvent what the arm's length regulatory 
panel is supposed to be doing. So, you know, you want these regulatory processes to be as apolitical and fair and transparent as possible. So if you let the minister mix in at too many different points, Mm. it leads to all kinds of confusion about who's really driving the boat. Then there are problems with what projects are included. I mean, how do you know for sure if something is going to be covered by C-69 or if it isn't? So the Alberta government, I mean, Rachel Notley's government, Shannon Phillips, the Minister of the Environment here, has raised questions about in situ oil developments in northern Alberta. Are those covered or aren't they? Uh, There are questions about how the bill balances economic interests versus all the other impacts. So when you look at the text of the bill, it tends to sort of have a laundry list of how do you evaluate whether a project is worth doing. And economy is kind of thrown in with the laundry list of everything from, you know, gender equality to, um, you know, carbon neutrality. And I would argue, as many others have done, that if you're going to have a proper balance, you have you can't just make the economy one element. It has to, you know, it, it has to be a, a fair balance of interests because there's no project that isn't going to have some environmental impact. So the question is always, how do you balance the environmental and social impacts against the economic ones? So the problem is that C69 has a lot of problems, and it, it needs significant amendment. Right. And there are a lot of people, uh, both from industry groups and from environmental groups, who are prepared to sit down and do that amendment work. The problem is that there, the bill has become intensely politicized. The bill is not I've perfect. I've noticed. <laughs> the, bill is, the bill is imperfect, and I want to see it amended. Let's make that very, very clear. I'm not here to champion C69. What I am concerned about is the degree of misinformation about the process. So the bill has come out of the House. It's come to the Senate. Right. And we voted just before the Senate rose at Christmas to send it to committee. This has been misinterpreted by a lot of people as saying, we passed the bill. We did not pass the bill. I did not vote in favor of passing the bill. Let's be really clear about that. No one from Alberta voted in favor of passing the bill. What we voted was to send it to committee. So the bill now goes to the Committee on Energy, the Environment, and Natural Resources. Right. Now, who sits on that committee? It's a committee, I I think there are 12 of us now, 14, uh, because we've expanded. Before I got to Ottawa, there were no people from Alberta on that committee, not a one. So when I got there- Oh, wait, on the energy committee? Yeah, yeah. there was no one one from Alberta. No one from Alberta on the energy committee. So as soon as I got there, ladies and gentlemen, I started agitating, as you well know that I can, Mm. and saying, hey, 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 I want to be on that committee. Um, And so now I'm on the committee, and so is Patty Labakan-Benson, who is the other new Alberta senator who was appointed uh, and sworn in with me. So there are now two Albertans on that committee. So it is the job of that committee, which is not a government committee. It is an all-party committee with... So there are conservatives, liberals, and independent conservatives, senators all on liberals, this Senate. Conservatives, liberals, independent senators, and also committee. one unaffiliated senator. Oh. Unaffiliated are people who didn't want to join the independent Senate group or weren't allowed to join the independent Senate group in some cases. Oh. Um, so yeah, there are four kinds of senators. It's it's like an ice cream bar. Um <laughs> So there's wide representation of geography and and political ideology on that committee. And we will begin uh, our work as a committee in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have public hearings. We will hear from industry experts. We will hear from government experts. We will hear from uh, legal experts. We will hear from indigenous groups. We will hear from all kinds, environmental groups. We'll hear from, from all the stakeholders. I hate that word. Um, I'm always worried they're going to put the stake through my heart. But um, we will hear from all kinds of interest groups, uh, and then we will suggest amendments to the bill. Right. 
I think the bill needs amendments. And so then then once these amendments get suggested, it goes back to Senate again? It goes back to the Senate. So, I mean, what usually happens, and I say usually, having been a senator for two months, um, what <laughs> seems to usually happen based on my limited pool of observation is the committee votes on amendments. Right. And then they bring the amendments back to the Senate as a whole. And then the Senate has to vote on the amendments. And if the Senate amends the bill, then the bill goes back to the House and the House can decide whether or not to accept those amendments. Now, okay. Yeah. Okay. So is is a bill often killed before being sent to committee by the Senate? No. So that's that would be highly unusual. I don't that think that's happen. ever happened in the entire history of the Senate. So when people are screaming at me, kill the bill, like... Guys, I can't kill the bill. I am one independent senator. There are not the votes in the Senate to kill the bill. There are perhaps the votes in the Senate to make really substantive amendments to the bill and then to hold the government's feet to the fire to accept those amendments. So it's kind of like in the Alberta legislature when you get up and you have first reading of a bill. By tradition, it passes because, you know, that's just how it happens. To vote no on that first reading is not something that happens. No. And, And second reading... I mean, you could, in theory, vote no on second reading. The conservatives voted as a block no on second reading. Right. And they did so because they knew that the bill would go. I mean, they knew that their votes were symbolic. Yeah. They didn't have nearly enough votes to stop it. So could you kill a bill at second reading? I mean, if you had a government, a rogue government that brought in a bill that was a grotesque violation of people's constitutional rights. Right. You could you could rise as the Senate and say, no, we refuse to discuss that bill. I mean, imagine a scenario in which you had a post-Trump prime minister who brought in a bill to say, OK, we're going to we're going to strip indigenous people of their treaty rights or we're going to take rights. We're going to take the vote away from women. I mean, you know, right. Then a, a big thing. Then the Senate could rise as a body and say, no, it is our job as the Chamber of Sober Second Thought to prevent majority tyranny, and we're not going to allow that to happen. Right. That's not going to happen with C-69. Now, with C-69, as an Alberta senator, I've been meeting with industry people from the beginning. I mean, my second day as a senator, I met with SEPA, the Canadian Energy Pipeline Association. I've been meeting with CAP. Uh, I've met with Imperial, with Husky, mm. uh, I, you know, with the Canada West Foundation. I'm meeting next week with Synovus. And I'm meeting with environmental groups, too. I've met with the Pembina Institute, uh, with uh, yeah, West Coast Environmental Law, with Nature Canada. I mean, I'm meeting with all kinds of stakeholders. And I'm going to do my best to fight for a better bill. Now, in the previous in previous governments, it was very rare for the government to accept an amendment from the Senate. Since we've moved to this independent Senate group model, there's been a much greater rate of acceptance oh. of Senate amendments by the Trudeau government. Mm-hmm. They haven't accepted all of them. The Senate, by a wide margin, mm-hmm. uh, supported a, a key amendment to uh, uh, a bill the other day that dealt with whether or not a woman had to be unconscious before she could be deemed not to give consent to have sex. And, you know, the Senate, it was an amendment brought by Kim Pate, an independent senator uh, who used to be the president or the CEO of the John Howard Society. Mm -hmm. It was a really good amendment and the Senate supported it and the House said no. Hmm. And so the bill came back to us and we had to decide if we were going to hold it up a second time. And Kim Pate said, well, you know, she was going to abstain. And so I followed her lead and I abstained on that bill. So I'm not saying that just because we amend something, the government is going to accept it. But I think the government is very keen to get this bill passed before the end of the session, before we go into an election period. So I think if we come up with prudent, sensible amendments 
we might be able to repair some of the flaws that really do exist in this legislation. Mm -hmm. Are there um, any other bills on your radar right now as a senator that might come to our Burton's attention? Yeah, there's C there's we C don't pay a lot of attention. There's C forty eight. Which That's is a tanker ban, right? it's the tanker it's right. the ocean yeah the ocean tanker bang moratorium for for the northern west coast and that bill is going to the transportation and communication committee hmm. guess what are you I, on that I'm on that committee oh, too so yay. yay for me I get these two Alberta hot button issues right in my lap um, <laughs> we are not yet scheduled uh, to meet to discuss uh, the tanker ban that'll be on our plate for this spring. Um, even money, whether that one dies on the order paper. I have to admit, my first two months in the Senate, I can't tell you the number of people who said, drinking from a fire hose, drinking from a fire hose, until I wanted to turn the fire hose on them. But that, <laughs> but that is what it's like. You just, you know, they drop you in the deep end and they hope you swim. So it-, it, it <laughs> You don't it, get little floaties or anything? Well, um, we get little floaties, but it's- <laughs> In the form of other senators who know what's going on. That's right. And of course- <laughs> They didn't throw me in the deep end. I jumped. My, 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 the day I was sworn in, uh, Amarjeet Sohi, the Minister of Natural Resources, was in for question period in the Senate. Mm. And of course, I've known Amarjeet for years when he was a city councillor here, and I was writing columns about city politics. Uh, and you know, I've I've known him a long, long time. And he was in to answer questions about his his briefs, including C sixty nine. And so my first. The day of my swearing in, I said, I'd like to ask the minister a question. And everybody at the clerk's table kind of laughed at me like, not laughed because they're too polite to laugh. <laughs> they kind of gave me the little side eye and like, no, no, like, see, sweetie, this is the day you're being sworn in. Senators being sworn in don't get to ask questions. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh. you've never bought Paula Simon. So I said, yeah, no, I really want to ask the minister a question. So... They said to me, okay, well, we're going to put you at the bottom of the list because because <laughs> like, I wasn't a member of the independent Senate group. I was just like, you know, I was like an amoeba senator, you know, an, an embryo senator. Like They're like, okay, you know, you have no status to ask a question, but we'll put you at the very bottom of the list. And then I think the speaker decided that it was cute that I wanted to ask a question <laughs> my first day. So, so I thought the time had expired and I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to ask a question. And he said, Senator Simons. So I rose and everybody was like, oh. You know, Oliver Twist has asked for what's more. What's she doing? <laughs> what's she doing? She can't, she, can't do she can't ask a question. But <laughs> I've been asking Amergy Sohi questions for, for decades. So many, many moons. Many, many, many moons of asking Amergy Sohi questions. So I, I asked him a question and I asked him a question about Bill C-69 and he answered the question about Bill C-69. Then everybody was like, wow. And Mike Duffy, who sits right in front of me, turned around and said, oh, you've made news your first day. And I thought... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, begin as I mean to go on. Oh, bless. How come you've been tweeting? Well, because I want to be just like you when I grow up, Emma Green. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to tweet at first. And, you know, to be honest, Senate debates are not always gripping narratives. Mm -hmm. But it really started, I mean, I was sort of tweeting in a dulcetory kind of way. And then we came to the weekend of the emergency debate on sending the posties back right. to work. You know, should, the, the government had brought legislation ordering an end to the rotating strikes by uh, the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. And I had to fly back urgently to Ottawa for this emergency debate. Mm -hmm. And so let's let's be honest here. I arrived somewhat frazzled. I got home Thursday night. I had to fly back first thing Saturday morning. And I arrived in the Senate and they were hearing expert testimony from the president and CEO of Canada Post and from the president of the Canadian Postal Workers Union. Right. And I came in and I thought, okay, 
I, I've come in in the middle of this. I need to focus. I need to you know, understand what I've missed, and I need to figure out what's going on. And I thought, well, in all my years covering the Alberta legislature and Edmonton City Council and school board meetings, if something was complicated, I would often live tweet it, not just for the benefit of my readers. Helps you understand it. helps it. you to That's understand it. This is, yeah. this is, but people, people said to me, well, how could you be listening if you were tweeting? It's like, no, no, I'm listening harder. Yeah. So I because you you you're listening to it come into your brain, you kind of think about it and you process it and then you output it yeah. and I find it really helps you. Yeah. So you know, I I, I did it as much selfishly for myself as I was doing it for people following me that first day. And so I tweeted the testimony from the president of the Postal Workers Union and the tw- and the the testimony from the president of the of the post office. Mm. And people were got quite engaged and so the next day I thought, okay, well people seem to like that. So we came back, not on the Sunday, but the Monday, for the full-on debate. And so I live-tweeted the whole thing, and I got thousands and thousands of people following along because, frankly, there's not a lot of media coverage of what goes on in the mm-hmm. Senate. It's not like there's an Emma Graney live-tweeting the Senate debate uh, the way you live-tweet question period. I don't know if Canada is poorer or richer for that. <laughs> well, and I decided, well, I'm here. I'm embedded. I know how to tweet. And I have 45,000 people who are already following me. Hmm. So if we want to explain to people how that debate on the postal bill was going to work and what the arguments were, I thought, who's better placed than I am uh, to do this? And the other thing was that I hadn't made up my own mind about how I was going to vote. And so by live tweeting and really listening hard to all of the arguments from the really smart people in the Senate, I paid so much attention that I never left the chamber. Indeed, all the other senators got up and ate the sandwiches that were brought in in the back. And by the time the Senate debate was over, all the sandwiches were gone. There were only the little little bits of decorative kale were the only things that were left. And so, you know, I I didn't pee and I didn't eat the sandwiches because I was so engaged in the debate. And I I think it helped people to understand there's so much mystery about what goes on in the Senate. It's It's like this black box of Canadian parliamentary government. And I think it's really important if the Senate is going to have any future as a respected body in Canada, if it's going to have any kind of moral authority, people have to understand what goes on in there. Mm. And I think it's unfair to write off the Senate and say, oh, it's just a bunch of rich people in semi-retirement, you know, delaying stuff. Mm. Uh, Really important debate goes on there, and they're really smart people in there, Uh, not just the new independent senators, but, you know, from, from the old regimes too. And I think going forward, you know, there are lots of people in the Senate who are smarter than I am. There are lots of people in the Senate who know more about government, more about constitutional law, more about all kinds of issues. I know about communicating with the public. Mm. So if the gift I can bring to the Senate is my ability to explain the Senate to Canadians, I, I would be honored if I could do that. Right on. Paula Simons, Senator Paula Simons. The Honorable. The Honorable Paula Simons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I now styled the honourable like Nancy Mitford. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me here in the first Press Gallery interview of 2019. As always, another reminder to subscribe so you can get all the episodes of the Press Gallery and the Press Gallery interview straight to your device. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you happen to podcast. And if you like what you hear, do leave us a rating. It does help us out a lot. 
Paula, we miss you. I'm so glad you could come back. I, I miss very briefly. you. I miss you too. And I, and I miss <laughs> and I miss all of you and all the people who stopped me at the farmers market and at the Save On to say I shouldn't say Save On now. I'm promoting a business. All the people who stopped me when I'm out doing my shopping and say we miss your column. Thank you, and, and I miss you guys too. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming here, and we will be back again on Friday with more of the usual press gallery with analysis and Alberta political fun. Join us then.